Welcome to the Footprint Plus 2023 podcast series. Concrete, what can we do to decarbonise today? Brought to you in association with Aggregate Industries. Good afternoon, everyone. Um, I'm Paul Astle from Ramble. I'm the decarbonisation lead for Ramble Buildings. And I also have been heavily involved in lower carbon concrete and was one of the authors of the Low Carbon Concrete Roadmap published last year. So I consider myself a, a lower carbon concrete enthusiast. It's great to have so many fellow enthusiasts here as well. So thanks for coming. Those of you that came to the earlier session will have heard about things that we can do now to the current concrete that we use, innovations or, or best practice. This session is about the new technologies that are on the horizon that are coming soon and may well provide some of those really fascinating technologies and solutions to decarbonisation in concrete. So we're joined by three fantastic speakers, all founders of very different technologies actually. We have Cyril Dunant from Cambridge Electric Cement, who has a, a new process to create cement from, from waste products or from waste cement. We have Sam Draper from Ceratec, who has a new SCM material, which also is it can uh, sequester carbon. And finally, we have Liv, An Liv Anderson as well from BioZerox, which is a, a biotech company developing a whole new way to make a concrete-like material. So each of our speakers are going to give a short presentation, and then we'll have a, a brief discussion ourselves, and then we'll open the floor to questions. If you could please use the app and the Slido, which is on here, I think, to ask any questions, and I'll make sure I call them all out uh, as many as I can at the end. So without further ado, I'll hand over to Cyril to kick things off. Thank you, Paul. Thank you. So I'm not making new cement. I'm recycling cement. And this came about because um, in the research group I work in, we always have this thing that we want to have zero carbon, and we don't believe very much in carbon capture. We think it's not g never going to scale up. And therefore, how do we do construction at all without cement? And by cement, I don't mean a new cement. I mean Portland cement, which has been broadly the foundation, quite literally, of uh, construction for the last perhaps 100, 150 years. And so the idea was, there is how do you make, how do you recycle cement? And this is not, in fact, a new knowledge. It's been known ever since we've made cement. Uh, it's been known that you can reclinker it. That is, you take old cement, you take cement, you put water, it becomes hard, and if you reheat it, you will get new cement. There's some subtleties with that, but broadly, this is what happens. And so that's known. And we know we can recover cement from demolition waste. And there's a number of uh, companies, startups, in fact, uh, even very large companies that are looking and are putting in place uh, circuits to recover cement paste out of concrete. And there's a lot of it. In the UK, we estimate that there is about 45 megatons of concrete from demolition, and about 10% of that is cement paste. So, if you think of it, that's four to five megaton of cement paste that could potentially be recycled if we could recycle it a year. To give, that, to give some perspective, we use 10 megatons of cement of yearly in the UK. So that's about half of it. So there's a lot. Cement could be, a bit like steel today, a recyclable material. Currently, we don't do this processing at scale. There are a number of things that are moving forward. There are places where it's happening, but this is not currently the case. And that's not enough, because reaching 1,400 degrees that you need to recycle cement 
currently you can only do using uh, burning stuff. So we, we had from uh, the previous talk, uh, you know, you can use biofuels and things like that, but that availability is complicated. Cement is 75% lime. That's the rest basic recipe for cement. And to make new steel, to recycle steel, you need something that contains at least 66% lime. If you have more, that's okay, that's even better. Aha, so maybe you could use, instead of lime, you could, that you use currently to recycle steel, you could use all cement. It runs at 1600 degrees. Going higher than the clinkering temperature is good. In fact, it favors the reactivity of the, reduce, of the resulting cement. So that's also good. And then there are complications, and I'm not going to go into that. You can ask questions if you want. EF slag, that is the uh, molten stuff that floats on top of the steel and protects it, needs to be fluid enough, and that's going to reduce a little bit the uh, properties of your resulting cement. But princip in principle, you can recycle cement electrically if you take your recovered paste, put it in an electric arc furnace that you would normally use to recycle cement, and if you recover the slag, currently electric arc slag is discarded, it's not very useful, it's not even very useful as an SEM, you would get Portland cement. Where are we at? Well, we've done it at a fairly small scale. Uh, and you can see here, there are, what's the recipe of cement? What's in cement? There's a number of phases. Cement is a compli very complex material. But basically, there's the yellow one that we really like, which is called A-Lite. We want as much as we can of this guy. B-Lite is also good. Later on, it will also provide some strength. Uh, this guy, ferrite, is mostly inert. And C3A uh, is good for strength, but it's complicated. So the one thing you want is maximize A-Lite production. When you're running a cement kiln industrially today, you want to maximize A-Lite. And it turns out that cement paste, reclinkered, produces more A-Lite. You get more A-Lite out of it than you had originally. That's the same commercial cement. Why? Because we're running our kiln, if you will, our AF, at higher temperature, and that favors the production of A-Lite. Meaning there is some scope to have a bit of an inert fraction so we can control the uh, steel process requirements. So in principle, you can recycle cement, and you can, in fact, get better cement out of it. And your process can be electric. Um, where are we? It's very early age. We've done, you know, kilos of it. That means that's enough that you can make more to bars, you can taste the strength, check the evolution, verify that it is, in fact, uh, potent cement. Uh, we hope next year to produce 20 tons in 40 minutes in a uh, full-scale EF. It is recycled Portland, so it's not a new cement, it's not a new cement type. There's no, in principle, there's no normative problem because it's just Portland cement. It falls within the chemical and uh, mechanical bounds of Portland cement. It can scale to a large fraction to today's cement use. If you were recycling all the cement and put it through this process, you could cover half of the UK's need. And we also know that if we design better, we could use about half of today's cement to have the same outcome in terms of construction if we just did the design a bit better. It's actually fairly cheap, and I'll go on to next time, but it's probably hard to establish. It's, it's for the future. The supply chains need to be put in place. That's a long, difficult process. So I'm not telling you, tomorrow your cement has no carbon. Go forth and build out of concrete. I'm saying in the future, it will be possible to recycle cement, and it will be a low-emission material. We know it's going to be a lower cement. Portland cement, indicatively, is this kind of thing. LC3 uh, blends are much lower carbon, very good. A bit more expensive, perhaps, depending on the specifics of what uh, or the production. You could have about 
close to zero emissions using that kind of uh, blend. It's a bit of an LCA trick, right? You, get you, you do produce carbon because you need to add a bit of lime. But the lime you would have added anyway in the electric arc furnace for the steel recycling. So when you apply the magic of LC accounting, suddenly it goes to zero. But you're still emitting some, in, in reality, you're still emitting some carbon, much less than you would for Portland cement. It's also fairly cheap. This is assuming the price of electricity in today's UK grid. And that's pretty much the highest in the world. Still, Electric processes are very efficient. The heat transfer is extremely efficient because it's contact transfer. The clinkering is happening di in direct contact with molten steel. So, in fact, we can produce it. Probably it's a little bit more expensive to produce than, uh, than Portland, but perhaps 20% or so, 20 to 30% more expensive in principle. And that's uh, eating into your margin, but it's nothing like CCS, which is claimed to be uh, if you want to, uh, to plug CCS on your cement, it's perhaps twice the price. So we think it's an economically viable route. Again, it's for the future. Today, you should be using less concrete and less cement. It's still the case that in the future, we think it is possible to make cement a recyclable material, the same way steel is a recyclable material. That's a very complicated one, and I'm told this is probably illegible, and I believe that. Today, limestone and scrap steel, limestone goes to clinkered kiln, some limestone called to electric steel recycling. The slag is broadly landfilled or produces a low-grade aggregate for, for, for filling things. You make concrete, and co construction is a very linear process. The steel gets recycled. However, if you separate the aggregate and cement, you can make it into a sort of virtual, if you will, circular loop, because it turns out that if the balance is right, you get about the same amount of steel and concrete and steel and cement in such a way that you could recycle fully your building. But if you look at these arrows, the key thing here is complicated set of arrows, but they're very different. And that means people will need to change their business practice. Circuits will need to be put in place. People will find new business opportunities, and also some people will have their business in trouble. And that's a very long process. It's not so much that technology is not there. It's going to take a long time to make it possible and viable economically. And that, in fact, I think concludes my talk. And I've hopefully I made time. And that's the idea. That's the super thing. I'm telling you, you can, in fact, recycle Portland. You can recycle it electrically. That will happen, we believe. But that's not happening today. Thank you. Hi everyone, can you hear me okay? Yeah, brilliant. Um, so I'm Sam Draper, I'm the CEO and co-founder of Ceratex. We're a spin-out company from Imperial College London. And um, I'm just gonna run you through sort of what we do. So diving straight into it, we take our raw material as olivine, so a magnesium silicate mineral that's hugely abundant. And we combine that with waste CO2 from sort of any industrial source. So there's a cement kiln illustrated here, but it could be any, anything. And from that, we produce these two sort of core materials which can be used in the construction industry. So the first is magnesium carbonate, so that's where we minerally sequester this CO2, which I'll get into a little bit later. And the second is silica, so this can be used as a cement replacement material, so a, a supplementary cementitious material. Um, and in that sort of loop on the left there, you can see that we're consuming all of the CO2 from the cement kiln. So when you combine these, you can effectively get a carbon-neutral composite cement. Um, 
So this is sort of what it looks like. As I've said, you use it to replace a portion of the cement, and this works exactly like we use GGBS now, or PFA. So sort of the chemically, they're very similar, so sort of a higher amorphous silica content, and that gives us really good concrete. And because it's a technology, because it's an SCM-based technology, there's no limits in the applications. So you're not limited to sort of precast products or anything like that. You've got the full range of the market available. And then this here um, is sort of a, a wall that we did as part of the London Design Festival last year, so working with AKT2 and Burn Brothers. And this was sort of our, our project product launch, if you like. It was the first, um, you know, first example of our concretes out in sort of the real world. Um, so I'm going to focus mostly on the sort of the silica and the concrete side of things today, but just a little word on the magnesium carbonate. Um, so as I said, it's where we sort of store the CO2 in mineral form. And from this, we're able to produce uh, a range of construction products. So typically alternatives to other high carbon things like um, clay bricks or sort of concrete block type things or gypsum boards. So not only does this have the benefit of you know, displacing those carbon intensive products from the, from the um, industry as well, but it also adds sort of further economic value into our process, which makes it sustainable and um, easier to scale up. So for me, I think um, if you're looking at introducing a new concrete technology into the industry today, there are four sort of real key benefits that you need to hit. One is we, we need to get to net zero some way. Either you do that through a cement replacement and CCS or a combination or however you do it, net zero is vital. I've used the term sort of high performance. I think adequate performance is maybe um, more realistic. We sort of heard in the session before this, um, you know, specifying the right concrete, the right performance is vitally important. But to have that, that range available to you is, is key. Um, standards are always a, a huge source of discussion in, in cement and concrete generally. They were talked about extensively earlier, but um, being able to have a product that fits neatly within them is, is vital again, and it opens up sort of lots of possibilities and gives you access to working with people and getting you know, insurance on buildings and these real practical things. And finally, scalability. You know, there are probably two gigaton industries in the world concrete and agriculture um, and it, it presents such a unique challenge but if you can't produce genuinely millions of tons of a cementitious material you'll never get the scalability there um, to benefit from sort of the economies of scale that allow you to make a viable product um, so just a quick sort of note on each of these in a little bit more detail so net zero so this is just a, a very simple graph so the, the blue line there is our silica and the orange line is GGBS. So as you go from sort of a, a pure Portland cement on the left-hand side, we can also argue about exactly what all of these numbers should be. So don't quote me on any, on any of them. Just take it as illustrative. Um, so GGBS, as much as we use, even if we're going to sort of a hun nearly 100% alkali-activated mix, there's always going to be some residual um, carbon emissions. Because our process sequesters the CO2, the whole process is net carbon negative, um, then you have that sort of flexibility and you can find a point at about 35% where you have an, a net zero um, cement. Sort of a, a couple of clarifiers on this, I guess. Um, if you're taking just cement from the cement industry and from no external source, then you can't sort of get a whole net negative cement industry. 
um, but you can do individual elements and if, if you look to bring in emissions from you know the steel industry brick manufacturer or even direct air capture that becomes a possibility um, on the performance side of things so the testing we've done today um, particularly focus on sort of 20 and 35 percent replacement mixes which coincide with the sort of the SEM2 A and B within the standards um, and we get much better performance at early and late age strength than sort of the equivalent flash concrete and as you can see in the graph they're sort of approaching the, the performance of a SEM1. This is slightly old data and I've actually got um, some new stuff which I haven't quite verified and collated yet but it suggests that a 40% replacement mix with our silica so sort of you know going into potential carbon negative territory um, can actually be stronger than a Portland cement concrete after 28 days. It's very difficult to find a picture for standards, so this is just a wordy slide, I'm afraid. Um, but it, I think it's fair, it's often the biggest barrier to new technologies. You know, science and developing a new product is actually fairly simple. It's getting it into the industry through regulation or the economics, which are the real challenge. There's a, a few examples recently of developers and individual projects looking at design-assisted by testing routes, which are, are great in sort of the, the short to medium term, but they can prove quite costly, and in many particularly smaller projects, this can be a significant barrier. Um, our silica meets the um, chemical requirements to be classed as a natural pozzolan within British and European standards. So in BS8500, you could use it in ready-mix concretes now in sort of a, a SEM2 or a SEM4P concrete. And then finally, scalability. I think this, this map and this stat sort of highlights it best. Raw material availability is often the, the really big thing. Um, so we use olivine, this magnesium silicate mineral, and this map just sort of shows the distribution of it. But the key thing is there's that single deposit there in Oman, which has enough olivine to sequester all cement emissions at current levels for 27,000 years. So if you're sort of looking towards that mineralization thing rather than you know, um, sort of using trees and natural methods where you're limited by surface area, if you've got depth where you can extract minerals to store CO2, there's, there's huge potential there. Um, so where are we at the moment? We're at sort of lab scale um, for the next, hopefully just for the next couple of months. Um, and I've optimistically said we could produce one meter cube of concrete a year. If we worked full-time, maybe we could. Um, but, you know, we've seen a couple of the things that we've done, the, the wharf, the London Design Festival, for example. So I think that's got, that's got about 0 0.1, 0 0.2 cubic metres of our concrete in it. Um, as we finalise our spin-out from the university in the next couple of months, we're looking to raise money and then have a pilot plant um, sort of online, hopefully early next year. And the capacity of that would allow us to produce maybe up to 1,000 cubic metres of concrete a year. And then again, as we continue to sort of scale and look to par uh, partner more with the industry, have a, a large-scale integrated pilot with, with a cement kiln or something similar, um, and then we could be producing these real meaningful volumes of 100,000 cubic metres per year. Um, so I'm going to end with a little plug. I don't know if that's actually allowed in this format, but we're always on the lookout for sort of new projects and partners. So that sort of 1,000 cubic metres a year from the pilot um, we've allocated sort of quite a lot of it already, but we're keen to, to talk to new people. Um, so yeah, if you do have a project coming up that you'd be interested in using our stuff, please get in contact. And you know, particularly if you sort of have the mindset of wanting to engage with the technology, you know, all the way through a project, sort of from early. You know, if you've got a ten-year project, 
some sort of small scale stuff then with the end goal of you know a building application and using that to assist in uh, progressing the technology that would be great so thank you very much I guess I'm going to hand over to Liv now cheers Hi everyone, great to be here. My name is Lev Andersen. I'm the co-founder CEO of BioSeroc. And my previous job is as a sustainability engineer. Every time we tried implementing more sustainable materials into any project, we kept running into the same three problems. The first was that the materials were too expensive. Two, was that they didn't actually have as good sustainability credentials as it was often marketed when you started to look under the label of what was actually there. And the third one was the high risk, not only by insurers, but also in terms of the deliverables. Could they actually supply enough of these materials in time to make these projects happen? So when we founded BioCeroc in 2021, we wanted to create a technology that fulfilled the following criteria. Globally available, low-cost reagents. Significant carbon reductions that can truly help align the industry with net zero. And low capex requirements, and essentially a technology that can slot into the infrastructure that is already there. So we asked ourselves the question, how does nature do it? Nature already creates strong, durable, carbon-negative construction materials entirely free from cement and all the nasties that we don't want in there. Uh, so stone and marble are great examples. They fulfill the criteria we were looking for and are already used widely without, with, throughout the construction industry. But processing these with the mining, cutting, and grinding causes really high costs, really high emissions, and high impacts on our natural environments. So is there a way that we can replicate these type of natural processes and make materials that last a lifetime but doesn't cost the Earth? And short answer, yes, there is. When we started exploring this space, we were really drawn to the use of bacteria for applications like self-healing concrete. And what that bacteria essentially does is to grow limestone, chemically similar to marble, directly into the final location where it's needed. So it's used to make normal concrete more durable, and some have been able to make very thin tiles of it but there was no one who had been able to use this technology to make actual larger structures. So the next question was, can we scale this technology to make a real impact on the industry? And that is exactly what BioCeroc's patent pending technology is addressing. We are focused on scaling bacterial concretes beyond what has previously been possible to make precast elements of varying shapes and sizes. And so far, all the uh, molds we have tried have worked. So if you can mold it, we can make it. And we use aggregates, just like normal concrete, uh, meaning we can use quite a lot of the infrastructure that's used in existing manufacturing facilities. But instead of mixing in cement and water, 
we mix in bacteria and our process reagents. And we add a little bit of magic. So what comes out at the other end is organically grown mineral-based construction materials. In the future, we do see potential for using this concrete for a broad range of applications. But given the amount of concrete that is on this globe right now, and given the time it's going to take to scale this, we're initially focusing on becoming the highest quality, most sustainable, and lowest cost alternative to pre-cost elements. And in addition to entirely removing cement, the technology does come with some other benefits. First of all, it's made at room temperatures. We do not use any GGBS or fly ash, which are already sources that are starting to deplete. We're not reliant on CO2 injections or some carbon capture infrastructure, and we do not use offsets to reach our credentials. On the flip side, we do have opportunities for circularity. Uh, the reagents that we're using can be found widely throughout various industrial waste. We have the potential to incorporate self-healing features by reawakening the bacteria from their dormant state. So if there are any cracks occurring, the concrete could essentially rebuild itself. And the third is that we have a lower carbon byproduct that is produced by our process. So there is potential to commercialize this stream and reduce the cost of our concrete. Uh, in terms of embodied carbon, there's still some uncertainty exactly where we're going to land on this scale when we source supplies at scale and we have our process working at scale. Um, but it is in the range from low carbon to potentially carbon negative. And something worth mentioning there is, yeah, sorry, I realized that when we convert this to a PDF, I'm actually missing some of the, uh, the graphics in my slides. But uh, what is missing is that in addition to low carbon ourselves, we're actually mitigating some emissions from other industries by taking the waste that would normally be left out in nature to degrade naturally. But by implementing this in our process, we can actually mitigate emissions from other industries that is almost a more significant impact than our concrete itself. Another benefit worth mentioning is that our final curing time is significantly faster than conventional concrete. Once we have completed our process, it is done. It does not require 28 days post-curing. Cost is right now our highest uncertainty, as we're currently producing this in a really small laboratory scale. Uh, we do estimate that initially we will need to sell this at a premium pricing, as does most products that are coming out. Um, but we do see the potential to be competitive with natural stone and all the way to actually undercutting the cost of conventional concrete when carbon taxes start to play a larger role in the industry. And yes, we are still producing this in our lab, but we are looking to start scaling technology in the upcoming year. So right now we are in conversations with people who want to pave the way for a more sustainable society, quite literally as we're looking for the first products to be small that we can iterate around and quickly test and improve the performance on. So anything from bricks to block pavings are the types of products we're really interested in. So if you are a developer, council representative, or other industry professional that want to be involved with these types of projects, we would love to have a conversation either after this talk 
or you can reach me through my email or any of our socials. Thank you very much. Thank you, uh, Liv. Um, so just a quick reminder, please send, send your questions through the uh, Slido app, if you have any. Um, but I do have a first question, and it'd be great if you could all answer this, which is, um, what are the barriers that are there that are preventing a greater acceleration to the adoption of these technologies? And, and what can we do as an industry to help move things forwards? So I'll start because the, the first, when we started this project, the key buyer we're thinking about is, and you know, you have all those new cements and new uh, SCMs coming on, and it looks like the normative process to get them in the books is something like a decade, which is a problem in, in and of itself. So the idea was, okay, we, we want to make Portland cement, which hopefully we've succeeded in, so that's that. However, the way the processing, you know, the making of cement, but also the procurement for the lime in the EF, the produ production or the, uh, how the waste from construction is processed, etc., has to change. And of course, that also takes some amount of time. And I think this is one of those things where it will depend a lot on the financial incentives that every actor in the, in the supply chain needs to find uh, a way to make a profit out of the change of, changed way of doing business. And making that possible um, is something we'll work on. And, but I think to me it's the biggest barrier because of course you're not even, never going to convince people to work at a loss just uh, for their good conscience. And even if you did, that'd be a bad idea because they'd be bankrupt in a while and then you're still not getting anything done. No, thank you. And um, it's interesting you're saying that. So you've focused on cement because that allows it to go straight into the That's right. supply chain. And Sam, obviously you're producing a similar but slightly different SCM. And so what, what, what do you see as the key barriers? Um, so I think for me, it's a lot around sort of, you know, the economics or actually raising the money to develop the technology and scale things through. So I think you have sort of the three very clear stages of the very early sort of R&D concepts, which, you know, you can, you can get 80, the 80-20, all right, you can get 80% of the way there on very little money. There's in that sort of first pilot growth phase and then the, the upscale to sort of industry. The last bit's relatively easy, I think, as someone who hasn't got there yet, um, because it seems like that's when you've got all the answers, it's easy to engage sort of your major industry players you know, be they the, the massive multinational cement corporations or whoever. But it's that middle phase of translating from a lab to demonstrating that you really have a, you know, a, a product or a process that has potential. Um, that's the real challenge for me. So I think you can do a lot of work um, by partnering with, with various people. So, I mean, our focus at the moment has been very, um, very much to focus on sort of the demand side of things. So working closely with engineers with contractors and sort of the, the trade associations and things like that because, you know, I guess they, they have to make less of a commitment so they're more willing that rather than in investing thousands, millions, tens of millions in, in a new facility like the, the big industrial manufacturers would be. Um, so, I mean, that's sort of how we've tried to overcome it. But, you know, there's still, I wouldn't say we've got it exactly right. That's still a big challenge for us. Right, and, and um, Liv, obviously you're doing something very different um, so, I mean, lots of barriers here, or, or are they different barriers? How can we 
how can the industry support? I suppose one of the key barriers from a regulator point of view was is the fact that we aren't using any cement whatsoever. But going for precast products, we can specify per, per performance instead. So that's one of the reasons why we're going for that as our first usage. But our key barrier right now is actually that we produce such small amounts. We've had interest by developers who are telling us, this is fantastic, can we have 2,000 bricks tomorrow? And we say, well, you can have two bricks in a month. So I think it's really to find these, these first clients that can just help us get that first foot into the industry by literally putting a brick in a wall or a few block pavings scattered around their, their normal block paving just to give the feedback to us and see how it works and how it ages over time. So a sort of low-risk first-step application, which, uh, which is taking some time to find the right people. But yes, if there's anyone here, then do reach out. Well, that's great. I think it's a really good uh, request here. So any opportunities for small-scale trials, low-risk applications. Um, we do have one question from the audience for you as well, which is, um, do you think BioZeroc, in theory, can compete with traditional structural uses of precast? That is a great question. I suppose at the stage we're at now, we have proven our, our like we are proven that we are in the range of starting to do structural applications. Since this is such a new material, I think it's going to take us some time before we would feel confident in saying, yes, we're 100% sure that this can stand and last for a really long time as a structural application. But in terms of compressive performance, we're already there. It's just a question of how, how long time and how much research do we want to put into this before we feel confident of using it in these applications. Hmm. Okay. And um, I'm just trying to check one of these. Um, has anyone, any one of you got a significant project? I think you've described your temporary or your, your wall that you created. Yeah, we've, um, we've got a project lined up Again, as you were saying, Liv, it's focused on sort of like the block work application. So even though our technology, in, in the end, we intend to be used in ReadyMix because of just sort of the, the performance-based nature of the standards, the relatively you know, low requirements, it's a, it's a nice way to break into the market, get some products out there, show it works. Um, so we've got a, a block work structure. Um, originally, I think it was scheduled to be built late 2024. I think it's late 2025 now. I'm still not sure how much I'm actually allowed to say about it, so I might have oh, well. to leave it at that. <laughs> and and the, the, um, the display blocks, uh, are they still somewhere visible that we could go and see them? Um, yes, they're, they're currently, oh yeah, actually I can do this, they're currently on display at um, EcoCity, at the Barbican, so if anyone's going back to London today or tomorrow, um, so the, the stack of magnesium carbonate blocks as well as the, the concrete blockwork wall are, are both there. Right, okay. I don't think either of you have a, a sizable project to hand right now, but a question for you, so do you? I actually, well, actually, uh, we're, as I said, you know, the barrier is about the whole supply chain, so the, we have a research project going on, including people using the stuff, so we have uh, BT and Tarmac Aggregates and Tarmac, sorry, Tarmac Ready Mix and Tarmac Cement, and the idea is that uh, next year, this 20-ton battery we want to make, it will be built, it yes. will be used for a structure. It will be standing. So uh, it's uh, it, it, it will be something. Yeah, fantastic. So that's next year. We're hoping. That's 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 the aim. Fantastic. And, and another question for you, sir, was: uh, Are you looking to partner with EF steel producers to create a sort of 
perfect complementary system. So it's a, it's a, so it's a funny thing because uh, now we think at, the, at this stage of the project we think we actually now know how to do clinkering on molten steel, which uh, it's an insane question to ask. Why would you do that? The part of the interest from the EF producer, EF, if you're an EF manufacturer, you're doing recycled steel, so your green credentials are very important. So get, getting greener, if you will, by having a useful byproduct is, is, is a bonus. So that, that was the obvious thing. But the, sort of, but the idea for them is they, they're aiming at cost reduction. They want to use, instead of lime, which is normally they would use as little as they can, because that's a, an expensive consumable in their, pro in their process, they would be using a byproduct from some, something else, a waste stream for something else, right? Um, there is probably a lot of growing demand on recovered sediment paste, so I don't know if that's going to be a low-cost product. But then, on the other hand, then they produce cement which has commercial value, so the, the economics of that is... But of course, they have the equipment, so this is why you partner with them. But you could think longer term, uh, if you're the cement industry and you're still making important cement and you want to electrify the heat, well, maybe that's the way you electrify your kiln. Mm. Uh, and because that's a very efficient ele electric kiln. So hopefully, the, and we have, you know, we're partnering with, with Tarmac uh, Cement. And one of the things I hope they get out of this project is a way to electrify the kiln in the future when they need to, re to rebuild them. Okay, so it sounds like there's maybe some really good industrial symbiosis opportunities, that perhaps longer term. That's, yeah, that's the idea, yes. Great, and, and Sam, we had a question about um, carbon sequestration is a fascinating concept. What types of investors and partners are you seeing interested in that aspect of the product, or, or that product, sorry, the, uh, the byproducts you have? Um, yeah, so I think, you know, for the for the cement industry now, carbon carbon capture forms a big part of the the route map, right? Um, so the, the Mineral Products Association have their route map to be on net zero, and it focuses predominantly on alternative cements and and carbon capture. And I think our our focus was very much on this mineralisation side of things, because of the scale, it's a huge opportunity, um, and because in the built environment we tend to build these sort of you know permanent things, we've got millions of tons where we can um, store CO two. So. I think so it was sort of the question was around sort of who who are the partners and yeah I think and I think who's who's looking to engage with you to sort of I guess take advantage of the carbon sequestration side or, or in, perhaps no one yeah. has to address that so so at the moment we're sort of looking to partners within the construction industry but not so much on the cement side of things just re retaining a little bit of distance from the cement industry I th don't laugh at that <laughs> um, I think works a little bit better so. People like um, clay brick manufacturers, um, you know, where they've got massive kilns at similar temperatures to cement kilns that are running for all the time, you know, 24 hours to fire a clay brick and things like this. Um, and there's some also not some really nice synergies there if we're, you know, using their CO2 to um, carry out our process. The bulk of the, the product that's coming out is actually the magnesium carbonate where it's stored. If they can then go on and manufacture alternative block products with that, it's sort of you know a, a two-in-one benefit there. That's great. And um, we had another sort of broader question uh, in relation to AI. So I'm not quite sure. Um, it was in relation to opportunities for optimization of mixes, but I, I think for your respective technologies, perhaps that would be very different. So I don't know, Liv, if you've considered if AI in any way could be utilised to help improve the process. Oh, absolutely. 
We, uh, uh, in my previous role, I did work a lot with programmers and uh, machine learning. And we are collecting a significant amount of data, about 700,000 lines per sample that we're making, seeing huge opportunities to, to use AI machine learning as we start getting further along and having more of a robust database to start doing optimization from. Okay, great. And, and, and you're looking at that now as well to improve the process? Or Sorry? You're still looking at that now? With the, with well, the at, right now we're just gathering data okay. until we have a big enough source. It's not really much we can do there. Yeah. Okay. And Sam or Cyril, is that something you've considered as, as well? It's not something I or anyone in our team knows much about at the moment, but I'm sure it will um, come in at a later date. I think there's a really interesting point though there just about sort of um, complementary technology. So in this case, looking at a novel material technology and AI. In some cases, maybe you're looking at you know, a new process technology, a new material, a new material and material, or something like that. And I think it's something that we really do need to bear in mind as we go forwards, because there are so many different approaches out there. Some of them work really well together. Some, if you take that one, you're not going to be able to use these ones over here. Um, and just thinking of that sort of you know, whole systems thing and how we best implement all of these to get to, because I, I don't think we particularly addressed it yet in this session. You know. The end goal is net zero infrastructure. And I think, as someone who works in materials, you're so far away from that. You're right at the top, and that's the bottom, and that's the top. Um, so I think bringing all of that together to help and, you know, get as close to that goal as we can is, is really important and just worth mentioning. OK. And actually, so you have a different question now. So that's OK. <laughs> that's fine. Uh, so you mentioned rethinking supply chains. Um, and the question was, what ecosystem developments would overcome these barriers? So partners, finance, you know, how, how could you, I guess, I mean, it's a big supply chain to, no, it's to try to change, but what could you do to do that? So the good news is, when we started writing the project uh, some three, four years ago, Recovered 7 Paste was basically not a thing. I think there was some uh, crazy person in their lab that was sort of trying to do something. But uh, since then, it's uh, exploded in uh, both Hydrobit Cement and Holsim, which are the two, uh, outside of uh, Cemex and uh, whoever's the state Chinese cement producer, um, are the biggest uh, producer in the world. They both have projects uh, looking at recovered cement paste. And the use of it is quite different. The, uh, so if there is, you know, and they are going to try and get as much of the material as, as they can. Hydrobac Cement wants to mineralize the recovered paste because, of course, it's calcium that's been decarbonated, so you can uh, pump CO2 into it and it becomes basically becomes limestone again, and then you get a not very reactive SCM, but that actually sort of captures some of the carbon. Uh, Holsim does actual recycling. Uh, they have a plant that has been working for decades, actually, doing that. And uh, in a conventional kiln, you can take some of the uh, concrete, and depending on the separation and contaminant, you can, you can put up to 15 to 20% of the raw meal. that would normally have been broadly limestone, you can, you can use that. And they've been doing that for a long time. Of course, uh, as we're getting better at separation, you can have a higher replacement. Because of chemistry and temperatures, you can never we think we can't, you can't ever do in a conventional kiln more than about 30-35% replacement of the raw meal with recovered paste. But still, uh, it's something that happens. So if the, view, the very big players are doing that, somebody will want to collect the stuff, purify it, and sell it to them. So it will happen. 
Then the question is, uh, will there be space for things like what we do to get our hands on the stuff? That's actually perhaps the biggest risk, I think, going forward. So it sounds like the, the big players are the key here. Yep. And if we, if we can get in with them, then potentially you can unlock that supply chain. I, 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 think, it, I think it's going, but you know, there's, there's equipment, there's investments, there's etc. Right? Those are big capital investments. It's not like, uh, you know, AI is very cheap in a way. I mean, okay, you need maybe a data center and a bunch of programmers. This computer you can scale from your laptop very easily. This is about big hardware projects, massive capital costs that are going to be in use for decades. So it's not the same kind of investment or the same kind of startup, if you will. Absolutely. We've got time for one last quickfire question to all of you, which is uh, putting aside your own interests, what do you think is the most likely sustainable concrete technology to succeed, comes to fall? So I'm going to start with Liv. I don't think there's going to be one winner in this space. Like okay. concrete is the most used material on this earth after water. And to think that there's any supply chain that can just roll in and take it all, I don't think that's going to happen. So we're going to see lots, probably all of our solution coming to market and doing pretty well. And yeah, then let's just see what scales the most. Fair enough. Sam, do you have anything to add? I, I think that's spot on. I think if we're talking very short term and you want some sustainable concrete tomorrow, go and find some calcined clay limestone stuff somehow. Um, but beyond that, who knows, it will be a range of things. Uh, sorry, this is my vested interest, but you should be using Pandyne using less concrete today. <laughs> the sustainable concrete is the concrete you're not using, and that's it, the design phase. Fantastic, that's a great way to finish. So use less concrete first, and then there's going to be lots of solutions in the future. So thank you very much to our speakers, and thanks for joining us today.